I think you have to be resilient to teach improv anyway and improvisational theater. And I think you're really a very resilient person and bouncing into the new frontier. I think you're doing it gracefully and uh, a lot of love. Yeah. (laughs) Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways with great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills. You're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Well, today I have a super special guest I'm bringing on for you. She was a guest over a year ago, and I was going to meet her last May. She was going to be doing a workshop, Spolen Techniques, Spolen Workshop in New York City, Well, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to that because we were in a pandemic. But luckily, the good thing about the pandemic is there's been lots of Zoom classes. So I've taken at least three classes with Aretha Sill since then, getting ready to take another one in a few weeks. Welcome, Aretha. Thank you for having me, Margo. It's so good to be with you. The classes have been wonderful. I can't say enough about them, especially the international flair. We might have people from Australia and the UK. They've And you've been working with people all over the world. So maybe we could start in talking about what's life been like for you teaching online with people all over the world. Yeah, it's been a very, very interesting and exciting um, side effect (laughs) of the pandemic. Um, I, you know, when when it first happened in March, I was right in the middle of a performance workshop working with a group of players in Los Angeles. And we were about a week or two away from our final performance, which was a really exciting, you know, thing to uh, be looking forward to. And then um, all of a sudden we were reading about flattening the curve and I realized we could not meet any longer. And, um, so we had to cancel the class right there. And I just thought, well, we'll when we can, we'll get back together um, and we'll finish the workshop. Well, I just thought it'd be a few months or something. But of course, it was, you know, uh, we realized quickly that wasn't going to be the case. And so um, we decided it was a good opportunity to get uh, everyone back together on Zoom and finish our workshop and just explore and play without pressure to be, like, good at Zoom, you know, <laughs> because... Um, you know, it's a little daunting to go from teaching in real life um, where people are flying about the stage and really, you know, um, working with space objects and all the, you know, the wonderful physical qualities of in, of an in-person workshop. But so, yeah, we went online and we, uh, we did a few weeks and then um, online and then we just did our performance and it was wonderful. And... I think you transitioned very well because I have experience with the classes. Occasionally we had some Zoom tech issues, but right. not, not too many. Not too and many. I think using the breakout rooms was wonderful. And how did you feel when you first started actually teaching more online? 
Well, you know, I mean, I was concerned. I mean, like everybody else, it's like, how are we going to do certain games? And I just realized, well, we, we are going to do what we can. And it also that concern, you have to be really good at the tech end. Um, but there were a ton of teachers online sharing tips and stuff. And so we were all um, talking to each other online in different Facebook groups or whatever. So, you know, and quickly I learned I'm not going to be a Zoom expert and I don't need to. Um, we just do what we can <laughs> and we make it work. And gradually, you know, there's a, there's still a few games I haven't tried, but um most of the games I've wanted to try on Zoom, I've given a try and not all work, but most do. Um, and so it's it's partially learning the technology and partially ignoring the technology um, and and not even worrying about when it doesn't work. Just keep going. We, we keep going forward and finding ways to play. You know, I told I tell my groups at the beginning that. Um, Zoom is the new rule of the game, right? The Viola set at the beginning of each workshop, I talk about how, um, you know, Viola once, you know, asked a football player what a game is. And he, he said to her, well, it's a series of rules that keeps the play going. And so we look at Zoom in that spirit. Because at first, a lot of my alumni were coming in, well, like, we can't do this and we can't do this with a kind of negative attitude towards it, which I totally get. Um, but we have to keep thinking what we can do. And then we found that the games them were, were still working in a new way online. They were helping us learn how to play online, the theater games themselves. It was pretty incredible. I love the phrase, keep the play going, keep the game yeah. going. I think that's terrific. And uh, that's what you were doing. So I know I got so much out of my classes with you. They're just Wonderful. And you're going to be starting to post your January schedule pretty soon. Yeah, there, there's there's a workshop, an introductory workshop starting in January. It's still got a few spaces. And then I start I offered a teacher training and that sold out really quickly. Um, that's a new offering. Um, I was planning to do a week long intensive during the summer, but of course, that, <laughs> that didn't work out. <laughs> so now we're going online with that, too. Um, and then in February, uh, it, I'll have I'll have more classes um, starting in mid February as well. Probably will announce them in th in early January. Oh, that's terrific! I know I missed that teacher training. It did fill up really fast. Um, uh, yeah, like twenty four hours. I can't even believe it. But it 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 will. So it means there's a need, and there'll be more. Absolutely. So. Um, oh, yeah, you have some interesting workshops coming up over the next few Saturdays. And I know my friend Max and I are going to be at the one on December 19th. You want to tell us a little bit about those? Well, you know, uh, during we, we found that um, playing online was a great stress reliever during these times, you know, um, and that, you know, Viola has so many meditative ways to help get us out of our head and into a sort of state of flow where we can play without feeling uh, too self-conscious about it and um, without, you know, plotting and all the things we do that get that that get in our own way, you know, um, and stop the intuition from coming forth. Uh, so I decided that, you know, December is the most stressful month of a most stressful year so that we would just do some play dates. So I there I have a couple workshops called they're called Saturday play dates. And one uh you know there's three of them. We just finished one last week. I have two more coming up. 
um, where we're just going to play theater games for fun and relaxation without any pressure to perform um, or concerns really about the theater. We're more just concerned with getting ourselves into a relaxed state of flow and readiness to play and feeling, you know, and to, to get all those benefits of connection between people that happen when we play. Um, so there's, uh, without, you know, a lot of people are afraid to take workshop, you know, they, they think they have to be funny or they think they have to perform. And we know that's not the case in any workshop, but these are designed so that anyone can come in and play. And we play a lot of the uh, traditional games that Viola learned from Neva Boyd and sensory awareness exercises and listening exercises and just, um, uh, like we, there's a there's a really early foundational game called the wear game where everyone learns to, by using a space object to enter into the same wear and then um, they they bring in you know uh, um, who that's the uh, begin to form relationships in the wear and um, little scenelets are formed and it's a very foundational game. Well, we had a we what we did this was inspired by something that happened in a workshop a couple weeks ago where the player chose the where because it was a place she couldn't go in the pandemic so i asked them to choose a where and in the in the stress-free <laughs> fun and relaxation workshops i asked them to choose a where someplace they couldn't go and we just all you know the the teams went you know, built aware together and then just hung out there and had a nice time there. One was the public library and the, the second team chose a, um, uh, a theater, you know, and it was really nice to just be in those places and hang out. So that, that's been the goal of these workshops. No pressure, um, a lot of mindfulness kind of uh, what, what Viola calls space walks and feeling self with self and, um, and just play. I was going to mention that when I teach my classes with people with Parkinson's and other movement disorders, I almost always start with feeling self with self. I don't yeah. start with the game. I just start there because they can become so relaxed. And somebody recently said, you know, improv is mindfulness. And sure. if you really read Viola's book and the different quotes she has and her philosophy on life, she was truly a person who was in the present moment. Um, didn't want playwriting going on and all of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, for especially, you know, I think I think she understood that where that the human, uh, what the human predicament, as she called it, is to not be in the present moment, is to be worrying or anticipating or all these things that keep us out of the present time, and that focus was the way. I mean, she clear she really really understood that. She said, "Focus is meditation and action." And that play, that play at its best is a, is, is a heightened focus, right? That allows us to fully uh, participate and solve problems and be creative and um, get into a state of being that, um, that, that transcends our own limits. Exactly. Now, not everybody's really familiar with Neva Boyd. Do you right. want to just talk about Neva a little bit? Because again, I don't think she's quite as well known. Yeah, Neva Boyd was Viola's teacher. She's a she's a pioneering social worker and teacher of social work. She ran the recreational training school at Hull House, and she was, um, uh, you know, important in the recreation movement. These are the the progressive 
educators and progressive activists from the early part of the 20th century. Uh, a lot of them gathered at Hull House and Neva Boyd taught there. And it was at her recreational training school where she was training social workers to go out. Um, and that's in Chicago, by the way. She was training social workers to go out and work in the community with groups of all kinds. And she believed that that um, she really believed in the powers of play for education and that, that children learn through play and for social work. Um, and that play uh, was a way that they could learn happily. They could, uh, because children um, play as its own reward in a way, right? So <laughs> you want to you want to play. So um, uh, so children will learn to work together as part of a group. And as these were progressive educators, that idea was to involve. Uh, them in the to to educate citizens to involve them in the democratic process they had to learn to work everyone needs to learn to work together as a part of a group to be in a democracy and that means learning to understand the needs of another person learning to compromise all that kind of stuff um, and she believed that could happen through play so she was a really important figure for the recreational training school went on um to be sort of absorbed into Northwestern University and it became their school of social work. Like Neva Boyd was the first, I think, director of that. Um, and uh, she also taught social work at University of Chicago. Um, she's a major figure. And, uh, and, less, and she would also go around the world gathering traditional children's games that she would learn. Um, like Alan Lomax or someone who gathered, you know, uh, uh, songs from around the world. She would gather traditional games and publish them in little chat books. Um, and uh, and, a, and a, an important book for most improvisers to have, which is the Handbook of Recreational Games. I have it right here. Um, it's out of print, but you can still find it. And, and it's well-worn, isn't it, Aretha? This one's very well-worn. The yes. binding just broke. <laughs> <laughs> That's a beloved and much used book, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've had that for a while. I just love it. And, of course, being a social worker, I feel a special affinity to yeah. Neva and Jane Addams and, of course, Viola um, as an improviser. And um, I see, you know, we, we've, when we spoke before, uh, your background was very different than what it is today. I see ducks I see it looks like a barn in the back. You're in a very bucolic setting, Aretha. Can you tell us where you are? Yes. Uh, I recently moved from Los Angeles, where I'd lived for 20 years, to Door County, Wisconsin, where I'm basically from, although my family moved a lot. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I am in Sister Bay, Wisconsin, which is actually a village, and it's a bit of a town compared to, you know, it's Door County in some areas is very rural. And here I'm in town and the house I'm renting, um, well, till we figure out where we're going to live permanently, has a lovely duck pond behind. And this this barn used to be the fire station I recently learned for the city of Sister Bay or the village of Sister Bay. And it hasn't been in many years, but. That's pretty cool. How was it difficult leaving Los Angeles since you've been living there for 20 years? Yeah, it was. It was it was very it was like. Yeah, it was a big leap. 
um, to move to, you know, and I love LA. I love it so much, but it just, it was time to go. And, and it was during a pandemic. So that was scary. We had to move a whole house and my husband's a record collector, um, and DJ and, uh, music person. And so we had to move a lot of heavy 78s and records as well as an entire house. And it was just like, and a child, my, I have a child and she's got a lot of stuff too. So it was something. Bet she does. Well, how does she like the country life now? She loves it. Yeah. She asked to move here because, you know, this is where um, uh, she, we would come every summer to visit my, uh, my parents' farm. My dad is gone now, but she visited my, my mom, Carol, she calls her Gabby. We, you know, we'd come every summer and do uh, uh, a few years ago, we do week long intensives. I would teach the theater game portion of the, of the program in my parents' barn. Um, and my mom would teach story theater and that, that program hasn't been on in a few years, but um, we hope to bring it back. I sure hope so, too. Door County is just beautiful. It's a wonderful place to be. I'm really happy for your move, although you left a community behind. I know you established and had many, many friends in L.A., and that, to me, is the hardest part of a move, I think. It really is. Like, that part, it's still, you know, but I, 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 but playing online has sort of changed that in a way. Like, we're still, I'm still seeing them. We're still connected. Um, so we're still all able to, you know, um, meet and play and perform and, and that's, that's exciting. It's tremendous. So, yeah. uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the barn and your dad, Paul Sills. Can you share a little bit about him? Yeah. And I wanted to show you oh, why I do. Yes. I love that cover too. Yeah. yeah. That's a good, um, Paul, my dad, uh, Paul, uh, was, yeah, I, I won't go into the, you can, you can look up info about Paul, but he was a very, uh, important figure in improvisational theater and, and you should look him up. He was an interesting fellow, but when he, um, and my mom, um, after they did story theater, he was, he created and directed story theater, which ran on Broadway and they had a little money and they bought a farm. I think it was 1970 or 71. They bought a farm in Door County, Wisconsin, um, because they were interested in, um, uh, they were always looking for community, as it was called. They're looking for community. There, there was political strife at that time. They wanted a, you know, a place uh, to be where they, they were sort of interested in the back to the land movement. And um, I mean, they bought a beautiful farm and that be basically became our home base because they traveled a lot. Um, and Paul loved Door County so much. Um, and in about 1987, I believe he started offering workshops in the barn, um, the beautiful hundred year old barn. Um, and people would travel from around the world to come play theater games with him in the barn. And that's where I learned to play. I, I mean, I played theater games as, um, from a child, but not but you'd only really work with Paul. He didn't really teach kids, just maybe a little bit here and there. Um, but it would play with my mom would be our side coach when we were kids or um, other other people as well. But uh, mostly my mom, Carol Sills. So I didn't really study theater games um, 
uh, like studied them until, or you know, as as a as you know, as an adult until I worked with Paul there in the barn. Because you got an MFA in writing, didn't you? When you yeah, much later I did. I got my MFA in creative writing. Um, okay. And, uh, so how old were you when you started working with Paul? Dad? Did you call him Paul or Dad? Both. Both. We <laughs> I, we often called our parents Paul and Carol. And I'm not hundred percent sure why it, it just, but mostly dad, I suppose. But if I'm working with him in a workshop, I wouldn't call him dad, you know, cause everyone's already, <laughs> you know, you're getting special treatment or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and I have a lot of, you know, people who are, who are in this, in the world of the theater and, uh, in, and I wouldn't call him dad, you know, I don't know. We, we talk about Paul. But, uh, but yeah, um, anyway, what was the question again? Sorry, Margo. If you were thinking about your dad right now, what he looked like and what he was like as a person, it's a very different relationship being a director to being a, a, the child of a director. But you must have met a lot of interesting people as well. Um, that were part uh, of yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were basically, we were raised in the theater and um, going to rehearsal and, you know, starting workshops. I was about 18, I guess, when I started workshop with him, when I was basically 17, 18, old enough to start workshops. And I was, I had no interest in being um, in the theater um, as a act, as an actor ever. That was like not even and or a performing improviser, not not even a little bit. That was just so um, I was basically forced into it. <laughs> but that's, I, that's, I a great, that's a great attitude to start with. I mean, instead of starting with, you know, I want to be on SNL or, you know, yeah. whatever. I think that's a beautiful way to start. Well, thank you. But it's funny because most improvisers say, really? Like, like, why? I don't you know. And I and I get that, too. But I was not. It's just not. I, you know, it was sort of painful for me to be, uh, to expose myself in that way and to perform. I ha I'm more of a writer by temperament. And um, so, but I did it because I felt, you know, Paul wanted me to, that's one thing. He, it was, his, his mother's games were so important to him. Like, like, you know, it's hard to even explain. It's sacred to him, really, that this work. And he honored it. And he wanted us to learn it, and all his kids did, all his daughters did, in various forms, um, play theater games. And, um, you know, my old eldest sister, Rachel, did professionally, like, as an actress, but also they, he had a company that went to, from L.A. to New York and did it in a very large theaters there. Um, I guess they would be uh, considered Broadway, but I'm not sure, but big, uh, big houses... And um, yeah, I've read that it was considered Broadway when I, I looked at the references. I think it was Broadway. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it yeah. was like, which is a little too big for live improvised theater games. But I mean, I, I bet it was wonderful. It was in boarding school at that time, actually. So I missed those ones, but I saw a lot of them in L.A. I, and uh, and my, and my other sisters all did it to a very varying degree. And um, I sort of always knew if I was going to do it he, that Paul knew when he was working with me, he would that he was training me to be a side coach and that is the way he worked with me. 
I mean, I played with everybody else. I learned as a player, but he wow. would make comments to me. Do you see this? Do you see that? He's in his head there. I remember that one specifically. Oh, yeah, that is fantastic. Now, he started studying with his mother when he was younger, though, didn't he? I mean, very young. I mean, there's pictures of him and his mother shows at like eight or nine years old. Yeah, he's in those he's in pictures of of her her groups of kids who are working on shows together at Hull House. And he was in performing troops of hers um, that she would have that would go around to little schools and or, you know, schools and so little troops that would go around to schools, stuff like that, of uh, neighborhood kids that she trained in theater games. During the summers, would he put on shows at the end of workshops? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every week. So the week long intensive was like five days, about five hours a day with a big long break in between. So you could go swimming or take a nap or go shopping because Door County is this actually they I don't think my parents knew it when they moved up here, but it was a <laughs> resort area and it's only right. there's water all around. it. It's very beautiful. So you do, and then you come back in the in the late afternoon, and then you go have dinner, and people are stay stay close to each other often. So there's a lot of camaraderie. It's like summer camp, you know. Um, and then at the very last, there, uh, the last day, uh, or the next, or the they, uh, he would do a performance with the with the workshop crew for an invited audience of friends and neighbors, and. It would close with a show, which was lovely. Um, and, and you know, some people were not, they were not necessarily uh, performers or it might've been the very first time they ever played theater games. They might be teachers or people from all different walks of life. But the, the shows were always wonderful because we were seeing um, people play together and it's fascinating to watch. And then afterwards, there's always, there was always a part, like a little potluck party with uh, uh, always hummus, always crudite hummus, brownies, beer, that kind of thing. Lemonade. Very simple. <laughs> but it was a community event. That's lovely. And you performed in some of those, didn't oh, you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I had to. <laughs> because, yeah, if even if I wasn't in the workshop, my dad would always be, do we have a volunteer from the audience? A thought, Just like that. I was always volunteered. <laughs> he was you always were, trying to get me to play. And he was doing story theater there as well, wasn't he? he or not? You know, no. No, he didn't do story theater as a teaching method. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, he did. I, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm confusing two issues. I was thinking, my mom introduced the workshops to um, the barn, story theater workshops. But yes, in, when he... When he moved here full time and lived here in the winter, he had a company here of local players um, and they would put on story theater shows. Can you just explain a little bit what story theater is? Because not everybody has read the book and knows what it is. Right. Story theater. Um, story theater is uh, he he adapted folk tales. He started out with Grimm's fairy tales and adapted them without using um, any additional language at all and without the use of a narrator and um, performed in the in the transformational space of Spolin, uh, of, of theater games. Um, 
so that there are no sets and there's no props um, and any group can adapt, you know, any folktale with this process. So the player becomes the narrator, so to speak, uh, that, you know, and so the woodsman went through the forest, he grabbed his axe, you know, it's a space object. And as, um, and, uh, and, and the wear transforms with the space, there's no sets, no props, um, limited costumes, very often there was modern contemporary music. Um, so it's a very improvisational way of devising theater using text. People could be the trees, um, right? We, we tried to do something once with, um, oh, the, uh, the three little pigs. And so somebody was playing the hut and it made out of straw or the brick. Yeah, I mean, you certainly can. More often than not, the, the, he, the, the, sometimes I remember what, like a giant dragon or something, a bunch of bodies would become the dragon. Uh -huh. More often than not, it was the people were, were the, you know, the, that would have been in space. But it, it could be. Yeah. Now, I think some of them were filmed. And was it CTV or something that has some of them? Because the, I yeah, Story Theater ran on Broadway for a year. It was a pretty big hit. And um, and uh, and before that, it had a life in Chicago. You know, you don't just go right to Broadway. And, and then Chicago uh, and then Yale and then Mark Tabor Forum and then uh, in Los Angeles, and then um, eventually Broadway. I think that's, you can all, someone can fact check me, but, and then um, uh, it was a TV show on Canadian, Canadian television. And those, uh, there are really, it was a little bit different on television because there were some pro sets, you know, and there, um, Sometimes, sometimes they would be done in pure, the stories would be done in more pure space with beautiful lighting and um, in, in the theatrical story theater style, but, you know, and other times they were done a little more for television with sets and props and stuff, but they're uh, really wonderful. And the people who are in them were really incredible early Second City players, many of them. And other people too, like, well, you know, uh, like I'll admit, just his people, Paul Sand was in them, and Melinda Dillon, and um, uh, Hamilton Camp, and Mina Kolb, um, uh, Alan Alda was in some of them, and Peter Bonners. Uh, it just, just really uh, wonderful, wonderful casts. Yeah, unfortunately, the videos weren't as technologically. Uh... That's the word I'm looking for. They weren't as easy to watch as like modern day videos are because they were filmed a while ago. But no, I have no, they're not. They're they're pretty professional. They're professionally filmed. Um, they're not easy to watch because the whoever has the rights now won't allow them to be put on YouTube, and we no one knows who has the rights now. It's it's a riddle to figure out. Um, if they're on YouTube, they'll come and they'll take the sound down or, you know. Oh, is that um, what's going on? Okay. Yeah. So that that's probably why. And um, and also it started out with a Rolling Stones song. Like the intro was really amazing because it was like this gypsy wagon. And it was like, why don't we sing this song all together? And uh, uh, well, the kids running by, running behind and the players on the wagon. And so that's going to get stuck. YouTube's not going to allow that through because that song is probably, you know, protected, copyright protected. And um, so, yeah, it, it, 
someday we'll figure out how to get those out there. But right now we don't know actually who owns the rights to them at this moment. But because they're so yeah. rich. Yeah. No, they're they're really incredible and they're historical. They're they're important. And so um, your mom, uh, would she be able to teach a workshop again? How do you think that would look if you open up next summer? Well, I don't know. I don't know if she if she can or uh, if she wants to. Possibly. She wants to. Yeah, um, possibly. So we'll see if we open up next summer. It won't be next summer, I don't think, sadly. I really don't. I think it's that would be too risky. I think it'll be we're looking to 2022 and um and then traveling, I'll, I'll resume whenever it's safe, I'll resume traveling for workshops, which was a big part of my life before travel. Like I was going to go to New York, um, to, uh, to do a workshop there with you, but unfortunately that got canceled. So yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, um, be back to that, but yeah, I don't know. And I don't know where they'll be. I don't know if they'll be at the barn, but they'll still be in dark wherever they are. I would hope they'd be in the barn, but you don't, we don't know. Um, wherever they are, Door County is a wonderful place, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's an important historical place in the history of improvisation. Um, and so I, I plan to start a nonprofit here and, um, to explore and celebrate the improvisational arts. That sounds wonderful. And of course your mom and mother is a great artist and yeah. did a lot of the scenic design and the lighting, the way she did lighting was really spectacular as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. she was, she wasn't a, a lighting designer, but she often did these beautiful projections because she was a painter. She is a painter. That's right. That's and right. She did very, very beautiful projections onto story theater and, um, uh, uh, using like, like imagine an overhead projector with gels that were cut into shapes. So not to, like theater gels you'd put in, in, in the, in the lights. Um, these would actually project, uh, lovely shapes and even images sometimes that people would play in and out of, or uh, a rare, really spectacular, beautiful work. What an incredible life you've had in your parents just incredible. And so you knew Viola when she was just a grandma to you, right? She wasn't. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She being... was, my, she went right. Exactly. She, she, I was in my mid twenties when she passed away. She must've been a very interesting person. I mean, just reading her so, so rich and so vibrant. I can't imagine. Um, yeah. She was very, very vibrant. She was very, very, uh, um, um, no nonsense, um, iconoclastic. She just was her own person. Yeah. I've never met anyone else like her. Now you've got your sister, Rachel, and is she up there too? Or, yep. um, and your other sister is, is she or someplace else? Uh, Polly is in Southern, uh, she's in, uh, Southern Wisconsin Racine. And my sister, Neva, my youngest sister is in, um, Chicago. Four girls. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> That's your own company. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So what kind of things are giving you joy today? I know you get joy out of teaching. I, I can see it on your face and emotionally I can kind of sense it. But what else gives you joy today, Aretha? Um, my daughter, uh, bringing her to Wisconsin from 
Los Angeles in a way I can't tell you how much we loved LA and what a, an amazing community of kids and adults we had there but um, you know it was getting smoky it's not a lot it was not I was not feeling good about her developing lungs breathing in that all the time and it was always very hot so we're, we've come where it's mostly very cold and that's fine with us right now um, it was getting hotter and hotter like when we left it was like 120 degrees Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and so that's unusual. It's just unusual. So it gives me joy to bring, she wanted to be in nature and that's why we moved here. And that I'm really happy that she's, she loves it here so much. It's really great. And my husband is reading all about Door County history and getting really into it. That's really wonderful. And um, the pandemic obviously is such a pivotal turning point in our world, you know, in our beings, in ourselves, I find that um, we don't, uh, I think we're changing, right? And we don't know where, how that's going to manifest yet. And so um, I feel like teaching online has taught me about Viola's work in a new way, which, and that that's giving me joy because it's like we're, we're understanding in in different ways more than just theatrical um, and more than we understood before about how helpful it is to connect to get out of the head and to you know face the unknown in in ways that are uh, unencumbered by the past and um, that that's giving me joy the fact that you know we've been able to continue to play in this time is really really um and that and how much good it's done us is just the most exciting thing when people in workshop begin to pass space objects back and forth to each other right and objects are flying and, and creating collective wares even though we're all in separate boxes right it's like it's like a metaphor for it's like metaphoric for what the work does but it, it even when we're in person, but it's, it's really happening. And it's, it's quite, it, that, that's been an amazing transition. Yeah. I love the exercises building the wear. And it was like that when I played with the group I was in that you, there was no boundaries really, even though we weren't physically together, we, we knew what everybody else was doing for the most part. It was pretty clear yeah. and how we, and uh, so I, uh, that's an excellent game to teach as well. I think it's just great. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you look fantastic. Of course, audio people won't see you as much, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm just so excited. And I think improvisers, the improv teachers I know, some of that you're friends with are very resilient people. I think you have to be resilient to teach improv anyway yeah. and improvisational theater. And I think you're really a very resilient person and bouncing into the new frontier. I think you're doing it gracefully and uh, oh, thank a you. lot of love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, we, we practice it, you know, <laughs> in this work, we practice it and, and, um, and it's been very helpful uh, to, uh, yeah, cause I, it's not, I don't know that that's, that's such a good attitude is a given to me in my, you know, in my personality. <laughs> um, but it has been, I felt like this is, we have to look for the opportunities here because, um, it's, it's just been very interesting because we don't have a choice. We, 
um, we have to uh, envision we have to we have to we have to keep playing because the other you know the other option is not okay <laughs> it's not acceptable to me and as we go forward like when we begin to consider zoom the new rule of the game and we learn we learn we can play with zoom so we freeze on each other or we begin you know <laughs> um all those things you keep playing we keep uh we keep learning about um how to play and the process uh as we go Despite the lag, the Zoom lag, as they call it. The Zoom it. lag doesn't bother us, right? <laughs> yeah, that's terrific. Well, I was like, very, it, it, I'm sorry. Just go. We go with it, right? Follow yep, the follow. Absolutely. <laughs> so you're in a beautiful setting for Christmas. Um, it's cold in Florida, 70 degrees. That makes it cold here. But <clears throat> I bet it's a little chillier where you are now. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice. It's like it's in the 30s. We have we we had a little snow early on, but we haven't had much snow yet. My daughter's really rooting for snow, so we'll oh, see. Oh, I bet she is. How old is she now? She's 7. 7. Oh, that first snowstorm is going to be magical for her. Yeah. And, and that's like the word discovery when somebody's discover and that's what improv is about as well, that attitude of discovering and yeah, learning new things. Absolutely. She yeah. That's, uh, you know, and that, that having a kid, having her, uh, it, that's a constant, it's a, it's a lovely reminder of that, you know. I bet it is. Well, listen, it has been great talking to you again, speaking with you. And I know I'll be seeing you in the new year. Well, I'll be seeing you in a few weeks uh, and after, hopefully before this, after this podcast is out. I'm not sure. I never know my timing, but um, (laughs) you're just a delightful person. And I would urge all of our listeners to follow you. And when you're off, when Viola's, sorry, when Aretha is offering a workshop, jump on it as soon as you can, because they (laughs) fill up really fast. Well, thank you so much, Margo. That means so much coming from you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.